Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Heard about Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. All right, um, just starting here, guys. Welcome back. Episode 18, the Peyton Manning episode of the YWC podcast. Uh, I always like to do that. I just name it after a different football player. Um, but today, I actually have a first-time guest on the show. Um, for those of you wrestling fans listening or my YouTube uh, wrestling friends, I have got Big Rat 310 on the podcast with me today. We're going to talk football. We always do it on Twitter, but then eventually I said, you know what, enough is enough. i got to have a podcast with this guy because he knows his stuff when it comes to NFL, NCAA, just football in general. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me. No, this is really, really cool. I'm really happy to be doing something like this. It's nice to break away from the wrestling mold sometimes, you know? So, yeah. That's why I started this whole podcast was really just to... Because, like, out of the community of wrestling fans that I met, so many of us love the NFL, and, and I've started more getting the college ball. But usually I have a co- uh, another person on here who loves the Patriots, like myself uh, and Phil, Nightmare 10. But this is a little different because we've got a Patriots fan here, we've got a Dolphins fan here, two franchises that it's Pandora's box for the 2020 season. Would I would agree because we don't know where either team is. I personally have a take of... Miami's the better developing team than the New York Jets right now. And as for New England, who really uh, who really knows about that? Uh, Big Rat will be back in just one second. Um, but for now, like we said, yeah, we're, so we're going to talk about that a bit, just uh, some AFC East coverage. I know we covered a lot here, but look, it's when it's the stuff you know and it's the teams you know, that's what we're going to do. Um, and also to, yeah, right, and there he is, he's back. So, um, yeah, mainly a lot of AFC East talk today, but I just got to ask you, what do you... How are you feeling about your Dolphins going into the 2020 season? Well, yeah, first I definitely do agree it's Pandora's because it's such it's such a wide range. Like, and I, I mean, you probably know this very well as a Patriots fan. Like, you could force, you could totally foresee them maybe even winning 11, 12 games again because that's just kind of what they do. But you could also see a world where your reality is very different than what it's been for the last two decades. And that range is really what makes it fun. On my Dolphins specifically, I also agree they have a wide range. They're, they're a weird team because they were horrible last year. And I know they were, like, a nice story, but, like, they were terrible, like, still. Even by the end of the year, like, look, their, their, their metrics on defense were awful. And, I, I mean, I love them. I love Flores. And they definitely overachieved relative to their talent level. No one's denying that. But as we know, growth in the NFL isn't always linear. 
So it's like, because they overachieved with that roster last year, now everyone thinks, oh, if you give them a better roster, now they'll win seven, eight, nine games. And then, you know, you go from there up and up. But sometimes, sometimes there's staggering effects. Sometimes you can improve the roster, but still be bad just because a lot of turnover, you know, and Dolphins, despite them being a success story, changed both coordinators from last year. So those things can stall where like they are improving, but it's, there's very, there's very possibly a world where they improve and they're a better team, but they still only go six and 10. And most people won't view that as like a big improvement, but it's just, these things aren't always clear. Like the Niners were bad two straight years before they did what they did. They never really got to the nine and seven level before they made their Super Bowl run. I know Jimmy G got hurt, but still like these things, Jaguars, another example from 14, 15, 16, and then boom, AFC title game. It's just, these things don't always go in a, like, you know, you win two games every year and more. Not necessarily, you know. Uh, so it's complicated with the Dolphins. Exactly. And I like the way that you view that where it's, like, you're right. I know Chad O'Shea is out and uh, I believe it's Chan Galeon at OC. DC, I'm not 100% sure who you guys hired. Uh, we, we just promoted, we uh, promoted uh, Boyer. Okay. From DB's coach. And sometimes. And went to the Giants. Okay, okay. And sometimes it's, you know what, sometimes in-house uh, promotions is what's best. Like where uh, you see someone moving up, What kind of like how I feel one day with the Patriots, I think Steve Belichick will be the defensive coordinator of that team. Um, with Miami, though, they also intrigue me just in the sense of like how, obviously, there was the famous New England game week 17. Mm-hmm. But I think, too, Brian Flores is installing a culture into there of where it's, he's not taking the Bill Belichick mold and applying it necessarily. He's kind of taking little things he learned from Belichick, but at the same time, too, bringing his flavor. That's why I feel like guys like Matt Patricia and Bill O'Brien haven't been as successful with Houston and Detroit, why they're trying to be Belichick. But then, if you're, like, that's with Flores, he's not trying to be Belichick, exactly. He's just trying to be Flores with just little sprint, like little sprinkles of what Belichick's been doing in New England. Um, one take I've always had to say quickly about your thing with San Francisco I think San Francisco is a 9-7 and seven team if Jimmy G doesn't get hurt because I don't see them getting Bosa or Samuel. That was just something I've always said. Yeah. But with my like, with you guys in Miami, you guys added quite a bit in the offseason with off, like one of my favorite Patriots of the last few years, Kyle Van Noy at linebacker. Um, drafting Tua, obviously. Adding in Austin Jackson, the offensive lineman from uh, USC. And also, too, Devontae Parker, good and healthy. I'm not... I'm trying to think of... Oh, Byron Jones as well in the secondary. And also, too, I honestly like Matt Gusecki. That's because I always remember players that just, like, nip you in the butt from certain games. And Gusecki is one of them from the Dolphins, where it was just... I remember last year, Fitzpatrick was just finding him in that Week 17 game. I know I'm going to talk Week 17 a lot. He finds it in probably one of the happiest games of his life. I find it one of the worst. That's just me. But, um, yeah, Miami's a very interesting team this year. And same thing with New England, too. Like, you're right in the sense of where if Jared Sinem somehow lights the world on fire, New England can win 11 or 12 games. He can play average and they win 9 or 8, or he plays awful and they go 7 and under. But you are right in the sense, though, with Miami, where I feel like if they go 6 and 10 or 7 and 9 this year, I don't think it's. I think some fans are going to be like, "Okay, what's going on?" But then too, you're going to get some fans that are going, "Okay, this is the year we're trying to figure it out. Next year's the year we try to make a run and make it into the playoffs." I don't have you there. If you could just turn up your mic, actually, you're just. 
about that. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, the the week the week seventeen game was truly awesome. Firstly, like, like incredible for me. I know not as fun for you, but uh, at Dolphin fans, because of the last decade has been really rough. Well, obviously, really more so the last two decades, but the last decade in particular has been tough to stomach. Um, because it feels like every summer they do thing. They, they they've been spending a lot more in free agency from the 2010s onward, and that kind of that stuff like that is what like gets the fan base excited again. Like they gave Mike Wallace a big contract, they gave Brandon Albert a big contract, they gave Indomitian Sue a big contract. Stuff like that was happening a lot more often after Steve Ross took over uh, throughout the 2010s, and so the fans would always get excited and they finished six and ten, seven and nine. But beating the Patriots was always so much fun, and I was really sad last year that I was going to lose that uh, because they were rebuilding and they faced them early in the year, which was even when the schedule came out, I said it like, no, this team's going to need time. Like that's a terrible time to play them. Like I was pretty confident the Patriots would end their streak there. Not that that was that much of a hot take. Um, No, but still, still getting that victory over the Patriots just in their building was so awesome. And I just, I'm going on about it because it was really, really so great. Uh, But yes, like, I think that locally fans' expectations are maybe higher than they should be because to them, if we go 6-10, and 10, yes, you've won more games, but I think people are expecting a lot more from that um, because of the fact that the logic is, oh, they weren't even trying and they won five. So if they try, the increase in wins should be even larger. Like you have a lot of fans who are expecting 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and, and, and yeah, I think, I think that's too far. I mean, like we said, it is a wide range. They did do a lot. They added a lot on the defense, especially. Um, uh, going back to what you said about like Flores and the culture thing, like I think the way to m- imitate Belichick is maybe imitate Belichick like in play design and scheme, but not in how you approach a locker room. So like he can copy like their Patriots, like they like to put so many cornerbacks in the field, and Flores does that. Patricia does that too. You can do that from like an X's and O's football perspective, but then when you address the locker room, when you set rules for your players, don't just try to be like a tough badass like Belichick because Belichick's won six Super Bowls. It's a lot easier for him to be that dick and like players just have to like buy into it. Like Flores hasn't earned that. And if he just comes in really tough and a front with a lot of people, like, and not really let them be themselves, I think a lot of players might resent that. Like you're kind of seeing a little bit in Detroit where you have a lot of players thinking Patricia sets too strict rules. He doesn't let players express themselves. And like they view him as kind of a hard ass, you know? Whereas Flores is kind of just Flores, and I think that's that's part of the change. But yeah, I think they added a lot on defense. Um, they brought in Van Noy, they brought in Emmanuel Ogba, they brought in Byron Jones, they drafted uh, Brandon Jones in the third round, Noah Ibanagane in the first round. They're like they added a lot of new players on defense, so the defense should get better when it was like horrible last year. Um, but the problem is one of the problems with getting more talent is there's also a lot of turnover. And a lot of these guys haven't played with, you know, Jerome Baker and Raekwon McMillan, our two best linebackers. A lot of these new guys haven't played with them. And that's going to cause some problems here and there, you know, where even though it's more talent, there's still communication stuff that you need to work out. And on the offense, the offense is going to be pretty much the same, except the O-line is going to be, thankfully, very different. Um, but it's Fitzmagic with Chan Gailey. And I'm just... Fitzmagic played well in December of last year. He played well against your Patriots in that yeah. last game. But I'm, I'm just not optimistic that that's going to sustain because the history of Fitzmagic is eventually things just kind of start crashing down. And if they were going to say he's a different man under Chad O'Shea and like he's actually just like a much better quarterback in the Chad O'Shea scheme, which he seemed to be, 
Um, it, it, this is just a new Fitzpatrick. He's reached a crescendo in his career. Now he's going to be really good. Maybe I could buy into that. But then they fire O'Shea and they bring back the OC that Fitz has played with five times and three times in Buffalo, twice with the Jets. And the vast majority of the time, it didn't go well. And so, as well as Fitz played in December of last year, and he did play well, ultimately the team won five games. Ultimately, I just don't think... If he's the quarterback for the whole season, which couldn't possibly not be the case for, obviously, the, the Tua stuff and other stuff we'll talk about, but if he's the quarterback for the whole season, um, I just have a hard time seeing this team winning more than six games. I just think it's too much change too quickly, and I know the fans are expecting a lot, but I just think it's going to take a little bit more time. And I think the other AFC East teams are still better than them, which is other part, the other part of the problem. You're right about the AFC East teams, because... And it pains me to do this just because I hate them, and it's mainly because I went to a game there as an away fan and I was treated horribly, was I do see the Buffalo Bills as being that top of the AFC East. But even there, I still find, like, what Josh Allen are we going to get? And yes. with the uh, Jets, I just do not buy Adam Gase. I, think, I personally think if they have another horrible season, they're going to get rid of him and then... Like, when I saw that hire last year, I'm just like, okay, you did nothing with Miami. Why do you? Why does the New York Jets want him? The Jets are a good developing football team. It's just, I think coaching is the problem there. And, to the offensive line, even though they got back to them in the draft, still needs some work, and their defense is only really Jamal Adams right now. But with Buffalo, though, even though, like, I've said that last year, I thought they were going to get, like, a Justin Jefferson or, like, a T. Higgins in the draft, but they ended up trading for Diggs. Thanks. If that chemistry between Allen and, and Diggs it doesn't add up right, and also, too, this is a thing I looked up as well with everyone going, oh, New England has such a tough schedule. Buffalo plays the same opponents, so I want to see how Buffalo does against Patrick Mahomes, against uh, Russell Wilson in Seattle, against Jimmy G and the San Francisco 49ers, um, against Pittsburgh, too, which Pittsburgh's a team a lot of people are sleeping on this year just because if Ben Roethlisberger comes back and is healthy, you're going to get Juju clicking again if... James Conner can run the ball well. That's another potential playoff team. Yeah. So the and also too, I this is why I love seeing New England play Miami Week One because really we don't know what we're gonna get. It's gonna be one of those games that look, it's a testing, it's gonna be a testing feeling out process. And also too, on the other side, you got the Jets playing the Bills, so it's Week One, Week Seventeen, both yeah. AFC East. You're gonna you're gonna have some hot takes after week one because oh, no doubt in, in both directions too because like there's so much uncertainty that like people are gonna make a big claim in either way. I, I agree. If we're on the Bills, um, I'm, I'm definitely also not a Josh Allen fan. Like I think he is like ironically underrated in fantasy football because a lot of smart football fans who recognize that he's like not a good passer, which is true that they tend to kind of, like, not want him in fantasy, even though he does well in fantasy because of the rushing ability. Um, but yeah, I'm not a big Josh Allen guy, never really have been, and there are concerns. And, you know, look, like, last year, before the season started, Mitch Trubisky was the most bet-on player to win the MVP. And that sounds crazy now, a year later, but that was true last summer. Because it was like, oh, here's a quarterback who's young, who's improving, was on a playoff team, you know. And the reason he was bet on so much was because his odds were so long. And they're like, oh, this has the best long shot return if we bet on Trubisky. And now I believe the most bet quarterback on this summer is Josh Allen um, for a similar logic. It's a long shot, but of all the long shots, the logic is he's young, he's improving. Like, if he has a great year, if the Bills win 12 games, then he might be a candidate for that. 
Um, but I think it'll be kind of similar. I know Allen's. I know Allen. Um, Allen, yeah, Allen's entering his third his third season as well. I just think there's going to be a lot of hype around that team, and I still like like you said, they could still win like a bunch of games. It's just I don't trust him, and I think he's going to crater back to earth. And it just kind of like Trubisky last year. This is the year where that really happens, and then. You know, like, again, a lot of people used to love Trubisky. Now he's a punchline. But all it took was him playing bad, then people turned on him. And I think it'll be similar with Allen. A lot of people are going to defend him. And then if he has a bad year, next summer, they're going to, like, laugh at the fact that Josh Allen was talked about in this regard. Maybe we're wrong, but that's why, I mean, I personally still have the Patriots above them for that reason. And I know, look, Stidham's an unknown, too, or Hoyer, but I just... I'd almost rather an unknown rookie I don't know than someone I think is very likely to fail. Uh, and I say this with all the respect to Bills fans. It's just, especially in that playoff game, I think everyone saw, and this has been true of Allen's whole NFL career, he's just a spaz. Like, when shit goes wrong, he just does crazy things, like, like insane things. And I think that's really prohibitive to winning a lot of games long term. Like, because most games are close. And when games are tight and you just do crazy shit like he does, it's just, it's concerning, you know? They're a, we- they're, they're a weird team. They're a threat to win or lose any game they play, any given week. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Because, like, with Allen, too, like, I even noticed this last year, because this game comes to mind a lot, Week 16, Bills-Patriots, it was in that Saturday afternoon slot. Josh Allen had the chance to win it and just kept overthrowing his receivers. Now I know he only had Cole Beasley and John, John, John Brown. Yeah. This year that may change with Diggs, but at the same time, too, there's that Week 16 Monday Night Football slot, Bills-Patriots, which I'm looking at right now as, like, Vikings-Packers was this year, Week 16. That game's going to decide who wins the AFC East, in my opinion. But, also to your point, you're right, too, where last year in the playoffs, like, remember, the Bills came out firing, and then, like, Josh Allen lets his guard down a bit. Houston just comes storming back, won the game in overtime. But the fact, too, even there was games last year, I remember, where, like, Miami, like, were having them... Like, we're killing them at one point, and then the Bills came back. Uh, week three against Cincinnati, the Bengals had it close for a very good portion of that game. Or actually all the game. I think it was 21-17. You just don't know what you're going to get with, I think, all four teams. Like, the AFC East, for the first time in a long time, there's no competition. I still think with New England, I think it's going to be a lot like what we saw at the tail end of last year for most of the year, where there's a lot of those ugly, ugly, defensively won football games, because... At the end of the day, with the Patriots, we still have the best defensive player in the league, the reigning DPOI. In the sec- I like the secondary, even though we lost some offensive. I want, I'm excited to see what our draft picks do. Like guys like Josh Uche from Michigan. Uh, there's a lot, the other linebacker from uh, Alabama. I'm just uh, kind of brain farting on his name right now. We still have Dante Hightower. We still have Dedrick, Dedrick Wise Jr. But like to your point, just going back to the Bills earlier, um, you don't know what you're going to get. I feel like it's going to be the same thing with Buffalo where, like, you're right. They're either going to go into any game winning or losing, but at the same time, too, if they have a few bad games, people are kind of going to go, okay, is this the Bears of last year? Because, look, same thing, too. Bears in the 2018 wild card, they were a bad kick away from going to the divisional round. Bills were a blown lead from the divisional round. They win those games, things change. I also do credit... I think Sean McDermott is a better coach than Matt Nagy. We saw that Matt Nagy kind of got very complacent this year with Chicago. But with the it's 
it's just a wait and see where like part like I'm excited, I'm nervous, I'm happy, I'm scared. I don't know what to expect with this whole division unless you're the Jets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no, that's that's very salient, and uh, yeah. it's you, not even just the Bears. You can go to the Jags too in 2017. Uh, they made the they made a deep playoff run, obviously, but they made a deep playoff run with a dominant defense. And their, I mean, their defense and the Bears' defense in 2018 was better than the Bills' defense last year. It was still a good defense, but those those defenses were like best in the league level. And the they gave Blake Bortles an 18 million dollar a year contract. And I remember, like, this is what kind of annoys me about football Twitter. People change their minds and revise history really quickly. Yeah. Like Nick Foles, Nick Foles has gone from a terrible quarterback to a great quarterback to a bad quarterback, and we change the narrative every year. I've been consistent the whole time. I don't think he's that good. I said that even after he won the Super Bowl. Um, not that he's like, like he can clearly like win games for you, but I don't think he's a franchise quarterback just because he won a Super Bowl. And the point is, like with the with the Jaguars, when they gave Portals that contract, that wasn't like people laughed at it, but they it wasn't like so widely criticized, you know. And then of course Portals plays terrible, and now everyone knows Portals is a punchline. But people didn't know that at the time necessarily. I, there, there were fans like us that did but there were plenty of fans that were like they made the ASC title game this seems reasonable etc etc you know that's the thing like when these quarterbacks come back to earth you not you rarely don't see it coming like maybe this is an example of that I guess but yeah they're they're wild things could go well it's also possible if you add digs and expand like the role that you ask of Allen as a passer that could also cause problems you know even though it's upgrading the receiving core but, like, if he has to throw more timing routes, throw more deep routes, like, that could cause problems, too. So, it's fun. It's a fun division for that reason. Yeah, but also, too, with the Bills, um, and, like, with their backup options, also, too, Joe Flacco is another perfect example of that. Won the Super Bowl, got that outrageous deal, and now everyone learned that he's not as good as we thought he was. That was a, that 2012 Ravens team was very defensively good. Um, but with the uh, Buffalo Bills, too, like, and their backup situation right now, it's Jake Fromm, who... Had a great freshman year with Georgia in 2017, but then 18 and 19, like, he was relying on that. People, like, look, oh, hey, here's this Jake from, and we don't expect anything else. Meanwhile, in 18 and 19, he had okay seasons, went to Sugar Bowls both years. But it's like, if he's to come in, too, if Allen, for some reason, were to get hurt, like, like I don't promote people getting injured or anything or don't want anyone to get hurt, but that's just the league you play on any given Sunday. But, like, too, if Jake Fromm were to come in, I don't know how confident Bills fans would be seeing him as it's like, okay, here's he made a national championship and almost won one shirt, but then after that he fell back to earth. So you kind of got, like, a very bad double-edged sort of quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. And I think that's that's worth exploiting because Allen's also, his play style's a little reckless. Like, he missed, he missed, like, five games as a rookie because of injury. Last year in that Patriots game, the first one, and the one in Buffalo. He got his bell rung. He got his bell rung, and he was out the rest of the game. And, yes, I understand, like, he, he wasn't trying to get himself concussed. It's just the way, because he's so, like, that's kind of part of his charm. Because he's so chaotic, you know, and all over the place, he puts himself in danger a lot. And that's why I think asking an injury for him is fair. Like, it's not rooting for anything. It's just fair. Yeah, it's it's just, it's the unfortunate nature of the game that we all, like, like David Baker, the Andre the Giant of the NFL Draft, uh, NFL Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame says, "It's we love this game, we love to watch this game, but at the same time, too, there's consequences. And also, too, goes in relation for wrestling fans, why there's these do not try these at home videos, where those guys go out there every Sunday not knowing, hey, I may, I may tear my ACL, or hey, I may get my bell rung today. But also, too, that week four game where it was 16-10, to 10, I remember that game was just ugly. 
That's the kind of games I see New England... Like, just going back to the Patriots quickly, those are the kind of games I see New England playing a lot of this year, which I hate, but you know what? At the end of the day, a win's a win. Um, another point I want to get to quickly is... Because I know, obviously, he's my he was my quarterback for 20 years. The quarterback of the team you love to hate, but you respected us. Because like, I, I am admitting... I have admitted this before, that I am not leaving my New England Patriot fandom... For Tom Brady and I'm more mad at Gronk for following Tom, but at the same time too, I still think that and there was a good point made about this. I always like to quote first take for some reason, but in that there's like people going how everyone's going oh Tampa this Tampa that, I, and I'm gonna have a hot take right now that I think that what the hype that Tampa's getting right now is what Cleveland got last year. I know I know Tom Brady's much better than Baker Mayfield. But this is not like Peyton Manning going to Denver, where he had an old, like that Denver team made the playoffs under Tim Tebow. This that Denver team did. Um, this Tampa team has not made the playoffs since I was in high school, and I'm 26 years old right now. Yeah, I think they have. I actually think they have the second longest playoff drought in the league behind yeah. uh, behind the Browns. Yeah. Um, and also, too, the other thing I was going to say quickly with the first take thing is this: that Tampa team, uh, they have. There's a team in black and gold that plays in the Superdome. That I still have winning that division, and I still think they're pushing their chips and going in all, all in this year. Yeah, I agree with you, um, and I'll give my thoughts on the Patriots in a bit. But on Tampa specifically, um, I think one thing with the Brady thing, and I know you guys look. I understand for for a lot of Patriots fans, it's not really about the X's and O's. Like he's a he's an icon, he's a franchise legend. You just want him no matter what. But I think I saw one Patriots beat writer put this well. Because of how cap-strapped you guys were, like, it was going to be... And, like, look, Nikhil Harry might not have played well last year, but he's he's still a first-round pick. You're not just going to give up on the guy, especially since he was hurt last year. It would, it would not be smart to just kick him out of the starting lineup just because you need more receivers that make Brady happy. That would have been bad management. So it's like, do you want to just run back 2019? Like, maybe you did, but I think if you just run it back, like Brady, the same similar offense, maybe a piece here or there, you can still draft the tight ends you drafted. And then the defense, just like... That seemed like an unpleasant experience for everyone. So I, I know it hurts, but like, you know, you probably don't kind of want to run in place. You got to move on from him eventually. For Tampa, I agree with you though because, I mean, he's not even the second best quarterback in that division. And I'm not saying he's washed, but I do think Matt Ryan is still better than him. Like, look at their numbers the last two years, last three years. Yes, you can make the argument that the Patriots' skill positions quality last year maybe depressed his numbers a bit, but I still think Matt Ryan's a better quarterback as presently constituted. So. I think Tampa has some talent, but it's a lot very quickly. It's like a lot of expectations that are coming together at the right time. And I have two main reasons why I just I, – I, I mean, maybe they can make – I mean, now we have a world where like seven teams make the playoffs. So you, you never know. It may be easier for them to do it this year than other years on that alone. Um, but the two main reasons why I would bet against them, at least making a Super Bowl run or anything like that, is I think it's really hard to get a good playoff seed when you are the third best quarterback in your division – and there's examples, but in general, like, yes, Trubisky can win his division with Aaron Rodgers, but we know what the general trends are. Like, usually it goes to the better quarterbacks and the better coaches. Um, and their defense, which is getting a lot of attention, the problem is their defense is very front seven heavy. Like, everyone knows about Ndamukong Sue and Vita and Pierre, Pierre Paul played well last year, and Shaq Barrett fucking did, killed it. Sack monster. Sack, sack, sack monster, yeah. And... They have good linebackers, too. It's just, I don't think that's how you... Their defense is strong in the front seven and weak in the secondary, and I think that's exactly what you shouldn't be in today's NFL. Like, Texas. It, Sorry. 
Yeah, exactly. It should be the reverse because when you play the Kansas Cities of the world, you're just going to get torched. If you're like a defense that's built to stop the run but not good against the pass, it's just death in today's NFL. Like it's just not good. You saw Sherman get burned in the Super Bowl this past year. And I know Richard Sherman's an elite corner in this league, but he got burnt by the Kansas City wide receivers. Um, also, too, they had a good uh, guy in their secondary. I know they drafted Antoine Winfield out of Minnesota, but they had Quentin Hargraves, and they let him walk out of a like personality issue or something like that, or he was late for a practice. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but like, I do trust Todd Bowles a bit. Like, He is obviously one of those guys that he's a better defensive coordinator than he is a head coach. Yeah. I, I only remember his last game so much because I remember the entire time uh, Dan Fouts basically saying, like, oh, he's on his way out. And I'm like, uh, we're in the third quarter. Like, I know we're kicking their ass, but... Like, he's still their coach. Like, he's going to get fired in, like, six hours from now, but we'll leave that to then. But I don't know why everyone's praising Byron Leftwich, the guy who got fired from the Cardinals when Josh Rosen was the quarterback. I'm sorry, but, like, it's not like he's going... Like, I understand Bruce Arians is an offensive guru, great head coach. I love what he did with that 2012 Colts team when Pagano got sick. Mm-hmm. But I just... It's not like he's going to this team... It's. Like, I think if he was going to the Chargers, yeah, there's a case for them making a Super Bowl run. Mm-hmm. But with Tampa, I just I just don't know, too. Like, we also don't know how he's going to mesh with, like, Evans or Godwin. Yeah. I, I hate this because Mike Evans, I love him, great player, but kills me in fantasy every year. He's always that second or third round pick. I'm like, okay, I'll grab him. This is his year. Last year, okay, Evans has, like, one good game here and there, but then it's Godwin, 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 Godwin. That's... Yeah. Like, that's what just drove me, and that's what drives me insane about Mike Evans. And also, with me saying all that stuff, like, oh, I don't, I just don't buy the hype, because when this team, that's, sure, they had a good run last year and everything, but then, too, Brady's still got to play Mahomes. He's got to play Breeze twice. Like, to put that Tampa, like, obviously, and also, I don't know if you saw this, but 15 of the 17 Bucks games are opposite to when the Patriots are playing. <laughs> Apparently, that's yeah. a coincidence, but I really think that the NFL did it on purpose. Um, yeah. that week one game, like, I'm going to be, like, I obviously, like, they're playing the Saints. Uh, the Saints are kind of like my profound second team, just because my dad and my sister are huge Saints fans. Mm-hmm. But, man, all eyes are going to be on that game week one in New Orleans. And, it, look, same thing, too. If Brady goes out there and has a terrible game, or that Superdome, because that Superdome, I've been there for both wrestling and for football. Loud. Loud. Like, I just, like, it is loud. If that Superdome and that crowd gets to him and he has a terrible week one, Man, everyone's gonna be just at Brady. Like if yeah. he if he if he wins and he plays great, it's gonna be oh here's Tom Brady, he's great. If he sucks, there's go those Max Kellermans of the world just smiling on their high horses. Yeah, it's it's almost like <laughs> people are gonna draw conclusions about his entire season based on September. Like certainly, and it's what what another concern I have because I agree that Arians is an offensive genius, but like. Like, Mike Evans, by the way, he killed me in fantasy, too. He, he's the king of having a three-touchdown game and also giving you zero points another week. It's truly impressive. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, like, with, with their offense, you know, Bruce Arians is bombs away, throw down the field, you know. Uh, and, like, Mike Evans, Mike Evans doesn't really run short routes. He runs very deep routes and wins a lot of jump ball situations. So it's not a whole lot of throwing to the running back, throwing to the tight end, throwing to the slot receiver. That's almost literally what they don't do. So, like, with Brady, who had all the the quick passing timing routes with the Amendolas and the Edelmans and the Welkers and obviously the impact of Gronk and Hernandez back in the day, James White, 
Like, folk, uh, uh, I mean, Chris Godwin like can run slot routes, maybe the way Brady wants them. But we're also in a pandemic. There's not a lot of time for them to get reps together on the field, given that OTAs got cut. Training camp is probably going to happen, but it'll probably be reduced in some form. Mini camps got and, cut. Say it again. Mini. I'm pretty sure mini camps are very limited. Or there's like not even a lot of coaches who are going to be in team facilities until for at least another six weeks at this point. So for for those reasons, because I, I think Bruce Arians' logic is, you know, Brady's arm strength is still fine, so we can still like we can still throw it down the field like I want to. He's kind of hinted at that in some interviews, but that doesn't mean they have good chemistry. That doesn't mean the offensive line gives Brady the time to be able to make those throws. Like there's there's a lot of levels to it. I, I just think it's a lot to figure out. And when we have a pandemic and really, I think, favors teams that are very familiar with one another, kind of like the Saints, where they kind of know what they're going to do. Like, it's fine if they lose some reps. They, they don't like that, but they're maybe a little better off because they have more familiarity with what's going to happen. Tampa Bay just has a lot of new, and so that's, that's, that's what would concern me. Yeah, and also, too, there is one player on Tampa they could utilize, and that is uh, Scott Miller out of Bowling Green. Miller. He, he he just he's that New England Patriot bread that like, you come to mind like short white slot receiver, but also too like it's like you're getting Brady at 43. So even last year too, everyone's saying oh it's the receiver's fault. What if it was just him off his timing with his throws? Like that's the one thing like everyone's paying attention to like because look you can be like everyone says oh the receivers are so bad yet they're NFL quality receivers. If you're a receiver in the New England Patriots, it's not just your. I know obviously the whole joke is oh they just grabbed a. Walmart employee and like plug them in the offense and here he goes but with the NFL like who knows like if Mike if they go out there and do that it's gonna be all this stuff like oh Brady and Mevin's on chemistry or if people blame the pandemic I'm sorry that's stupid but also too you're right with the Saints look Michael Thomas you got you got Jared Cook still Alvin Kamara who I expect a much better year from hopefully if he stays healthy uh Latavius Murray uh one guy that my dad was very high on but I kind of questioned at first but now I kind of get it uh but Ty Montgomery Another yeah. another Absolutely. solid weapon for them in the backfield, and also too um, Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a big, that's a big one. Yeah, uh, that I personally like. I'll still say this: I think the Saints are trying to go for it this year. I think this year, like, look, they had the bat. Obviously, they had the Minneapolis miracle in 2018. That's one of the only plays in NFL history that left me speechless. Yeah. My, that's a non-Patriot play. There's a few Patriot plays that left me speechless on both sides of the ball. Um, Tyree. Um, <laughs> then the, the the Hopple incident last year, uh, 2018 against the um, Rams, and then this year too with the Minneapolis game. Yeah, that, this feels like this feels like it's it. Like this yeah. feels like this is their last chance. Yeah, I think too. Like look, Breeze, because also too, that's one thing I always see too with quarterbacks where if you win your one, it's like it'll follow Manning forever. How Manning had just the one title, uh, Eli already had two, Brady had uh, three or four. Uh, he had four before Manning won his second. But if you win one Super Bowl, like a lot of quarterbacks out there have won Super Bowl wins. You get number two, your just Hall of Fame stock, which already is high, will just keep on rising and rising. I know Breeze has all these like records and everything, but look, at the end of the day, I think he wants that second Lombardi. He wants New Orleans to be that, and, uh, that party on Bourbon Street, let's just call it that. Um, but also, to, to one point, Big Rat just left the room for a second. Uh, but to one point too, with the um, Atlanta Falcons, like them adding Todd Gurley is a pretty good addition. It's just to a matter of health, and also to coaching. Because look, Dan Quinn should have been fired at the end of this past season. The fact that he's still around makes me feel like if they end up being bad, 
they're gonna he's if they start off one and three, he's gone by the beginning of October. Um, because I will say this that that team has not been the same since the twenty eight and three Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, I, I agree on a lot of fronts, um, but I agree with you mainly on the Saints. He wants that second ring. Um, it's a shame. I mean, Peyton, like, I mean, I love the dude. I still think he's an all-time great, if not the greatest, and I still think that argument is possible, even though a lot of people don't want to make it, but that's for another day. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, I, I, I agree that um, Reeves does want the second ring. It's just, I think, the, I, I don't think this is a Brady thing. I think this is a Patriots thing. I think the success of the Patriots is really, like, kind of, spoiled us a little bit where like it's really fucking hard to win one you know and like they're the best organization in the nfl like they've done it better than anyone else and it's maybe easier for them to pull off but for you know it's hard like it's just hard to win rings like i think we we think because mahomes won last year that he's gonna inevitably get five or six i mean that's no guarantee that dan marino made the super bowl in his second year he never made it back like it's just it's hard but on, on the falcons I do agree that they haven't been the same. Um, it's it's evident. You know, I actually have a friend. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever told you this before. One of my good friends, they're a huge Falcons fan. Grew up in Georgia. Like, knows the area really well. Knows the Falcons really well. The day of that game, that that night, I promise you, that night, he texted me saying, they're never going to be the same. They have to blow it up. And obviously, they were never actually going to do that because they came within seconds of winning the Super Bowl. No one was going to get fired. But he, he texted me like, they're never going to be the same. Like, it's just, it's too much. And that's what concerns me about the Falcons this year. Because, like, I could probably make an argument of, like, listen, like, the O-line was bad last year. Their rookies weren't that good on the offensive line that they drafted in the first round last year. Maybe this year they'll be better. And if the O-line's better, they have an elite offense again, like they used to, then you can talk yourself into maybe them, like, winning nine or ten games. But, yeah, there's some bad juju with the Quinn stuff. I mean, we know this as well with the Jets. In 2013, we're going to hire Rex Ryan. They finished off the season strong. They closed 8-8. Eight eight. They decided to bring Rex Ryan back. And then the next year, in 2014, they totally cratered. Like, sometimes, like, when you when you keep the coach because of these emotional late-season runs, like, it can, ha- it can sometimes really hurt you for the next year, you know? And that's the concern. It just feels like they haven't agreed to transition from that era, from like the 2016-2018 era of Falcons, they haven't agreed to the transition yet, but it just feels like it's inevitable, because I just don't really know what's going to change for the Falcons this year that we should, that we think are that different, like, because those demons they have in their closets are significant. Yeah, because like, even look at that game too, um, and the one play, there's always the people, like, also too, like, there was all the plays, like how the Patriots were killed by catches, like how... The David Tyree catch, Mario Manningham, Jermaine Curse, even though they won that game. The Julio Jones catch, like, but then the when the Patriots got that Edelman catch, like, it was just one of those salivating moments, but in my opinion, the most, the biggest turning point in that game is always, and this is what made him one of my favorite Patriots, was that Hightower strip sack. Yeah. I say that changed the momentum of the game. Like, the catch obviously helped, but, man, that, like, when you get a big defensive play like that in a playoff game, it just changes things, but... You're right too. Where like also like you saw the whole emotional thing with uh, John Mara not wanting to get rid of Eli Manning, like just letting him retire on like obviously retiring how he was still there in 2019. Because I remember you harped that thought back to me a lot. And also I remember us having the argument of that Brady wasn't even the third best quarterback in that division. Like obviously we know Carolina's probably gonna have a bit of a wonky year. They got Matt Rule, which will look really bad considering he's like one of the highest paid coaches. 
But the Falcons is another team. Like, we don't know what they're going to be. Like, they could be good. They could be okay. It just depends, too. Because, like, they've got that still got some talent on defense. I know they lost Hooper, but they added in Hayden Hurst. Um, and they can get solid seasons out of Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and Matt Ryan and Todd Gurley, too. Because Devontae Freeman, obviously, has been a bit of a band-aid for them the last few years just with getting injuries and everything. I think he's, yeah, he just signed in Seattle. Um... Man, the Falcons are one of those teams you just don't know also, too. I like to call their owner the Crypt Keeper because he kind of looks like a little old and frail. But at the same time, too, I think the Falcons, like, yeah, you're right. Dan Quinn's one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, we'll bring you back, buddy. It's all good. But then, like, I think his job and him and Matt Patricia are probably the two coaches that have the hottest seats in the NFL right now. But, man, there's just so much. That's, that's why I love this thing. Just because, like, look, there's so much injury going into the season, like, Teams have gone gone from potentially good to bad or bad to good in a snap. Yeah, it feels like it feels like a lot of teams just drastically changed. I mean, part of this is, I think, signaled by like Brady leaving the Patriots. Like that alone, obviously, created a really unclear, interesting scenario for the Pats and the Bucks. And there was examples like this where there's just like a lot of a lot of there were a lot of like digs getting traded. You know, like some of the people in the draft that were selected high. It's just there's. There's just a lot of moving parts right now, and I think that's what makes it fun. The biggest one example is, and probably one of the dumbest trades in NFL history, if we look back at this 50 years from now, but the Hopkins trade to the Cardinals, because I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but you know you always have that one team in the NFL that you kind of feel bad for that you want to see do good? For me, that's slowly becoming the Arizona Cardinals. Just something about them, like, I honestly thought when they hired Kingsbury, I was like, what? But then after watching them this year and seeing how good, Kyler Murray impressed the hell out of me. But my wild, just out far hot take prediction was that they're going to make the playoffs as a wild card team this year. Because, like, look, if Hopkins goes in there with Fitzgerald, uh, I, this is going to pain you, but, man, Kenyon Drake, um, <laughs> that team's got potential. Yeah, they're they're very interesting. And I, I think that, like, a pattern we've seen with a lot of the, the teams in that division, you know, it's usually the second or the third year of, like, the head coach that sparks a lot of the change, or in Sean McVay's case, the first year. Yeah. But, like, Kyle Shanahan in year three, uh, and Sean McVay in his first year, but Super Bowl in his second year. And, yeah, I mean, I have I have concerns about Kingsbury, too. I, I still think it's fair to say there's some questions that we still are waiting to be resolved a little bit. Um, but, yeah, Ky- Kyler, Kyler is really good. Uh, really, really good. And he was really good right away, which is pretty crazy, because we don't we're not, we really don't see that all that often. Like, even Carson Wentz as a rookie wasn't that good. Like, it wasn't until the 2017 season when he really started to blossom. Goff, the same thing. Trubisky was pretty insignificant. Mahomes didn't even play as a rookie. Didn't even play until year two. And here's, here's Murray, like, playing pretty well, pretty competently right away. What's interesting about him, too, is he, he, he like, didn't throw any picks. Like, he had one of the lowest interception rates in the league. It was... Which is exactly what you wouldn't expect of a, of a rookie quarterback, even the ones that play well. Yeah. I, so, oh, sorry. I feel like it's just one of those duos where it's like, you know what? Him and Kingsbury. It's like, okay, I trust you, you trust me, kind of thing. Where it's like Kingsbury knows, okay, let him be him on the field. I'm not going to try to control him or try to be that puppet master like what you see with Bill Belichick with certain players, like uh, what you see with other coaches. But even too like. Man, the Rams are such a weird team right now in god-awful uniforms. But I like, even too, like, week one, there's a lot of interesting matchups. Another one, 
Uh, another two just featuring the teams we just rang off. Man, Arizona playing San Francisco week one. It's going to be interesting just to see well, the, how those two teams play. It's going to be a test to see, okay, if Hopkins goes out there and balls and like Arizona looks good, like even last year too, Arizona played San Francisco very well in both their games they played. Yep. And then that Rams-Cowboys game, two teams that had bad 2019s, like it's going to be interesting to see what happens, especially with no Todd Gurley um, and... What I think was probably one of the biggest deals in the draft for well the Cardinals won getting Isaiah Simmons at nine, and then C.D. Lamb going to the Cowboys, which I hate because if you don't know me by now, I just a fan base <laughs> may uh, the cow. I don't like personally hate anyone on the Cowboys. It's just the fans that make me hate the team. Yeah. Of how it's every year. Oh, like we're going to the Super Bowl, yada yada yada. Like last year, I looked at that record and I'm like, okay, you beat the Dolphins. No offense. The Giants and the Redskins, you went into New Orleans and they beat you on field goals and you got a touchdown. Like, when you do things like that, it's like, it's just what makes the fan base so infuriating when they're like, oh, it's always our year when really the last time you made a Super Bowl run, I think I was two. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're more talk than they are production. Yeah. And it's weird because they, they do this weird thing where whenever they have a good year, they instantly kind of come back to earth. So, like, in 2014, they make the divisional round. Dez caught it, you know, all that stuff. The next year, they go 4-12. and 12. Then 2016, with Dak as a rookie, they get the one seed in the NFC. And then, the, and they, again, lose in the divisional round. And then the next year, like, bam, like, 9-7, like, no playoffs, you know. And then they make the playoffs again in 2018, and then they don't make it last year. They're just this weird, like, up-and-down team. But they... The, the amount of time that is spent discussing them is not commensurate to their winning impact in the league. And I think that's the problem. They get all this attention that their win profile has not warranted is, I think, what raises a lot of the, the issues, you know, with them. I, I agree with that exactly. Because, like, look, um, the Des caught it. Actually, a funny story. My um, I'm in a fantasy league where my cousin runs. And one of the guys in there is a Cowboys fan, so he named his team, uh, for some reason, the Sterator Stallions, because Gene Sterator was the referee in that uh, Des Cotty game, and he just did it just to get under the guy's skin. But, like, even to, like, there was the two games against the Packers, but then there was a game against the Rams where it was, like, because I believe 2016, like you said, they got the number one seed, but then 18, they beat the uh, Seahawks, and then all Cowboy fans were on their high horse, and then a week later they lost the Rams, and there's that infamous Stephen A. Smith video in a bar in Los Angeles just laughing his ass off that I'd love to watch. Where he's like wiping his cowboy fan because we all know Stephen A. Smith loves the Cowboys, <laughs> not. Um, but even to like, like, I'm just thinking about their seasons. Like 28, like 2017 was the Ezekiel Elliott suspension. Which, if you're blaming it on that, like that kind of shows okay who Dak is. But then now, I don't know what team we're gonna see with them. Just because look, if Mike McCarthy goes in there and works his magic, but at the same time too, it's. He's one of those guys who'll go in there and then eventually, he, like, he did in Green Bay. He was there for 12 years. Sure, he won a Super Bowl, but he wore out his welcome. Like, he left because they got, they lost to the, this is when the Cardinals were just bad. Like, when they had uh, the Steve Wilkes era, which a lot of people, I thought at first, I was like, I was intrigued by the hire. But then when you saw the on-field production of them getting slaughtered by the Broncos, um, that was just the one game that came to mind because it was primetime. You knew that this wasn't that. So then when he got fired there and then Aaron Rodgers was just happier, it did that. So, will the same thing happen to Dak, where at first it's all, it's this happy marriage that just en ends in a terrible divorce. Yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a little weird that, like, I mean, it should concern you if you're a Cowboys fan that the Packers went from, like, a disaster of a team in 2018 where everyone was fighting with each other. And last year there were problems, but they still made the title game. And 
the rosters really didn't change that much. Mike Patton was there in 2018. Like, pretty much all they did was change the head coach, and they instantly made a deep playoff run. Now, McCarthy had success there too, but to your point, he wore out his welcome. And the weird thing with the Cowboys and McCarthy, this is actually my, maybe, one of my unconventional positions, because I do agree with you, I am annoyed by their attention. I think they're most likely to be successful in the McCarthy era in the very first season, because I think over time, he's going to wear out his welcome, like we've described. And like four years from now, it, I'm not saying this year they're going to like be a Super Bowl team or anything. I just think the best they're going to get is going to be this year, whatever that is. Like if that means if that means playoffs, if that means nine and seven, like I don't know. But I do think they'll do that this year, and then they'll use this as like, oh, we were successful in year one. Now we're going to grow next year, and then next year they'll just come back to earth again because that's that's just what they do. And then also too, you've got the Dak Prescott situation where like, look. If he goes out there and plays well, they're going to give him his, like, $35 million, whatever insane amount of money he's been requesting over, like, the reports that are just coming in and out of Dallas. I got, like, it's hard to believe what you hear now because, like, one day it's like, oh, look, he's getting the tender, which deservedly so after the subpar 2019. But then, like, like I said, if he goes out, if you keep tagging him, eventually he's going to walk. But at the same time, too, like, that whole situation on its own where we know Dak, like, Buddy, you're not Pat Mahomes. Like, obviously, Patrick Mahomes is going to get his payday because, look, he won a Super Bowl in his third season. Yeah. And that's second playing. Um, he's won an MVP, and he's won a Super Bowl already, Dak. You've won. I, I don't even know what awards he's won. But even, too, like, are you going to have problems in the locker room? Like, say, for example, Amari Cooper, who got who's getting paid $20 million a season. I believe it's, yeah, five years, five years, $100 million. But then if you have him and then CeeDee Lamb out of nowhere just balls out like what like Amari Cooper, another guy too, like Mike Evans, he's the king of three touchdowns one week and then the next week he's gonna catch for sixty yards. Like, are we gonna have that too where it's like Amari Cooper has great weeks, but then it's like, okay, look, if Cooper's not playing that well, because I talked about this with uh, Miguel, noted Raiders fan, on an earlier episode, of how Amari Cooper's that kind of guy you like he's good, but sometimes he's not trustworthy because of his ball handling issues. To where okay, if Prescott's going to go to Lamb more because we all know what Lamb is capable of, as as seen in college, even though he's in the Big 12. If Lamb plays better than Cooper, it's just going to cause friction and stuff, and then it's like, oh, what if Elliott doesn't get there? I still think the Cowboys do have issues on... Uh, it's the same thing like with Tampa, except they actually have a good offensive line. That's the one thing I want to point out Tampa. That's the other reason why I don't believe in the Bucs, because their offensive line is still subpar. Mm-hmm. But the Cowboys still have a solid offensive line. Front seven's pretty good. I really like Van Der Esch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But their secondary lost to the Miami Dolphins with Byron Jones leaving, and they didn't really do, and they didn't really do much when they had the chance to get Xavier McKinney. Yeah, their their defense, and they're also making a coordinator change, bringing Mike Nolan. Freaking, yeah, that's right. Rob Marinelli, I believe, is with the Raiders now. Yeah, and it's it's there's a lot of there's still a lot of flux going on. I mean, I I think the offense can be good. It's just that they gotta they gotta get a lot of the personality stuff worked out. Like I I don't think. I don't think Dak can will go into the season on just the tag. I mean, maybe you never know. Like, I'm not saying they give him what he wants. Like, I, I mean, they probably should, they would probably just give him like a different deal. I would yeah. think. But yeah, because if like if you go in like with the franchise tag drama, it's just going to create a lot of problems. So I will agree, predicated on my prediction that they'll win like nine, ten games this year. But just this year, and then digress next year. Yeah. Um, it would involve them working out these kinks. I think long-term what they would like to do, I just think this is how it's going to work out. When Cooper gets older, when he's like on the third year of the contract, you know, and Lamb is playing well, they'll they'll maybe do something where, because I think they can get out of it after year three, 
where three years into the deal, they'll cut him. He won't see the last two years of that contract. And then they'll rely on Lamb primarily. I mean, I'm a Lamb guy. I think he's a stud. In fact, I think Jay, I've said this a lot on Twitter. I think Jalen Hurts is incredibly overrated. And I think Lamb made him look a lot better than he was. And like, if you, if you watch a lot of Oklahoma, which I did, like, CD Lamb was an absolute monster. And he was the entire identity behind everything they did. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm high on him, and I think even if Cooper plays well, I just think it's inevitable that eventually Lamb will be seen as the best receiver on the team. Eventually, I'm not saying this year. And when that happens, it's hard to keep Cooper long term. So, yeah. yeah, they got a lot to work out. They got a lot to work out. Like, if it, like if it came down to fan, like from a fantasy perspective too, which um, is another reason why like a lot of people going on the whole old oh, like I've been asked, oh, do you see the NFL playing this year? I say yes because unlike other leagues, the NFL will make all their money, not all their money, but the league's going to be fine when it comes to fantasy revenue and TV deals and stuff like Because I know the TV contracts are coming up very soon. But from a fantasy perspective, if you were to ask me right now, do you want Lamb or Cooper? I th- I'm taking Lamb on my fantasy team. Yeah, it, um, it depends for me. If this is a dynasty league, like we have to get the guys for their careers, I mean, I'm definitely picking Lamb. No doubt about that. Yeah. I, think, I, I think I would probably pick Lamb next year for sure. Yeah. In fan- for sure. This year, I think it's close, just because just because you never know as a rookie, you never know how long it's going to take him to kind of catch along. Um, but I don't think that's I don't think it's controversial at all to think that by December, it's very possible that we already see Lamb as the better player. And I, I don't hate Cooper necessarily, but I just think Lamb's a stud. I, I don't I don't hate Amari Cooper either. It's just one of those things where if someone came to me and said, "Look, you can have this," obviously I'm not taking him as a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two. He'd be more of like a flex guy or like maybe a bench yeah. guy. Where if you see a matchup that Sorry about that. If you see a matchup that's in his favor, I'm going to start him. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's he's a stud. Yeah. Um, The other team I wanted to mention quickly, because I know the quarterback you have ties to, is what is your Ryan Tannehill 2020 prediction? Does he come back to earth, or do you think the Titans can still maintain success that they had in 2019? Yeah, that's a a really tough question, uh, because it's a complicated... So I am... To, to be clear, to people who don't know, I am a big Ryan Tannehill fan. Uh, I even was when he was down here. Not that I thought he was, like, the greatest quarterback, or even as good as he was last year, where he was freaking... Like, people should look at his numbers last year. They were insane. Like, his efficiency was seriously, like, Joe Montana level. And I know that that's a little ridiculous. That's not probably something you'll see again, that level of efficiency. But he had, like, he had like an incredibly high completion percentage and an incredibly high yards per attempt. So, like... Alex Smith has a high completion percentage because all he does is check it down. So it's easy to complete 70% of your passes when you're just throwing easy throws. But he also led the league in yards per attempt. So he had a high completion percentage while also throwing the ball down the field. It's really hard to do both. Normally you get one or the other. Um, I don't think that will sustain because that that was just too that was that was literally like two 2016 Matt Ryan level good. Like, no, that's not gonna sustain. He'll come back to earth on that. But I do think he's a good quarterback. And I think he got he got he got blamed for a lot of stuff down here that wasn't his fault. Uh, he played for a very bad organization. I am a Dolphins fan, but I know this is a very bad organization. And he was his o his O line was consistently the worst in the league every year, or if not the worst, the second worst. Like you know, you get the point. Yeah. And and a lot of the wide receiver help that got a lot of credit that people said this isn't an excuse for Ryan anymore. A lot of those wide receivers were really overrated. Like, when they signed Mike Wallace to a big contract, everyone said, oh, now Tannehill has no excuse. He has Mike Wallace. But Mike Wallace didn't deserve a $13 million a year contract. 
and he and Michael Ross complained a lot and wasn't that good in his career by by 2013 2014 and we saw he left Miami and he had some he did some stuff with the Ravens and Eagles and and Kings but it really did kind of tail off a little bit um and big thing about Tampa people didn't know was his offensive coordinators were horrible every single year his offensive coordinators were terrible and you would see a lot of games like this where he steps back to pass the wide receivers are overrated and they're not getting open consistently the offensive coordinator isn't drawing up a good play and the pocket breaks down and he ends up taking a bad sack and everyone's like oh he's this quarterback that always takes sacks and i just i thought a lot of it was unfair um, in 2016, before he got hurt, his numbers were really, really good, too. Uh, so I always liked him. I understand why Dolphins fan wanted to move on from him. And people need to understand, like, he got hurt two years in a row. He missed all of 2017, and he was hurt throughout 2018. Like, and towards ACL in 2016. It's just, that was the main reason to move on, was that he kept getting hurt. Um, and, you know... At, at a certain point, you're with the guy for you're with the quarterback for eight years. You make the playoffs once. Like he gets injured all the time. Like it's just time to move on. But I think he's a good quarterback. He is not like Case Keenum. Everyone's going to compare him to Case Keenum in 2017, having a really good season, Vikings to the AFC title game. Then he fell apart in Denver. I don't think this is like this at all. However, I say all that with a big caveat. Um, I have some concerns about the Titans. Uh, because I do like A.J. Brown a lot, and I know Arthur Smith did a good job last year, but they lost Jack Conklin, and they're, they're, they, I don't, I mean, I don't know if they can really run the same team they ran last year, where they run Derrick Henry, and then when they, when Derrick Henry isn't breaking tackles, they throw the ball down the field. Um, that's going to be tricky, I think, because A.J. Brown is going to be contained a lot more. Like, people are very familiar with how dangerous he is, and, I just think you'll see a lot of games kind of like what happened with the Patriots in that playoff game where they the Patriots shut down A.J. Brown. He was a non-factor in that game. But when you shut down A.J. Brown, the rest of those receivers are really, really not very good. Like, like um, what's his name? Tajay uh, Sharp. Corey da- Tajay Sharp and Corey Davis. And I know Corey Davis was a highly drafted player, but those guys those guys had, were not super productive last year. They didn't separate at a really efficient level if you look at the metrics on their separation ability. So... I think, and I, they lost Jack Conklin on the offensive line. I just think that there's going to be a lot of plays where Tannehill gets back to pass, AJ Brown's double covered. These other receivers, they're okay, but they're going to have problems, and I think the pocket's going to break down more often. And combine all that, and I just, it's it's really weird. I think he's a good quarterback, but I think I think he'll get a lot of grief this year because the offense is going to take a step back. And look, part of this is just natural sustainability. Like their efficiency was insane last year. It just can't be at that level. You know, because he's he's not Joe Montana. Like he's he can't he can't lead the he, he can't lead the league in completion percentage and yards per attempt again. That's just unlikely. So it's complicated. Sorry to be long winded on that, but I do think he's a good quarterback. But I do think they're going to take a step back, and then people are going to kind of give him some grief. But I do think he can. I think he can be can give you a good season once again down the line at some point. I do think with that this whole new seventeen format to the playoffs. They can make yeah. a shot. It's just, if you're asking me to, I agree with you on the whole, like, I don't, like, I could see them playing well, but not running it back. Like, that's a, that was another, like, crazy far-out season prediction I had. With Rivers, I just see, think the Colts are a team yeah. to win right now. That's why I think the Colts will win that division. Uh, Houston's an afterthought. I just cannot stand them anymore. Because, like, I just think they're, they're badly managed. Bill O'Brien's not that good of a head coach. David Johnson was a one-year wonder. 
And also, too, the fact that they keep getting hurt and the fact they do not fix that fucking offensive line. I've been saying this for years. I know they've got Tunsil, but still. Deshaun Watson is, like, unlike Mahomes and Jackson, who have great offensive lines. That's actually one point I wanted to get to quickly with the ball. Sorry, I do this a lot where I bounce around. The Baltimore Ravens, I think, will have one of the most significant losses this year. And it's like Conklin. They lost Marshall Yonda to retirement. Yeah. That's a big, big loss for the Ravens. Like, a lot of people sometimes look at offensive linemen as, oh, they're interchangeable. There are some offensive linemen in this game that really hold that foundation together in the trenches. You're going to notice a difference without Yonda in the lineup. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Rams in 2018, after their Super Bowl year, they lost Roger Saffold to the Titans. And everyone, and like, I look, I know Marshall Yonda is much better than him. I'm not trying to equate it. Oh, no, no, not at all. Go ahead. But yeah, but like the Rams, the Rams offensive line last year got worse. And Saffold was a big part of that. And yeah, like when you lose someone like Yonda, they have other good players, but it could disrupt the chemistry. It could, you know, Yonda had like a leadership presence in that locker room. Like he was the one kind of commanding the rest of the offensive linemen. Like that, that's, that's a lot to lose. Like that's, it's really important for that reason. And I, I agree with you on the Colts also. I, I think that a big part of the reason why I think the Titans are going to take a step back a little bit is because the Colts, I mean, you wouldn't think it because they won seven games last year, but this is really their chance to make a deep run. Like, I, I understand Rivers has problems, but he's also on a one-year deal. Like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. So, like, I, I this is not there's not this is like not a thing where the Colts can just win nine games and then build on it for next year unlikely because he's probably only has one year left in him so that, that that one i agree like has has some complications to it there are well and also i mean i like Vrabel, but i think frank reich is also a really good coach and i think frank reich deserves a lot of respect for what he's done there and they were a playoff team just two years ago so it's really not crazy to see them you know bouncing back in a way that most people don't expect um yeah like and also too the colts have one of the best offensive lines in football right now yeah, like that offensive line with uh, and Qu- and Quentin Nelson's just an animal. Uh, yeah. But like you said, they were a playoff team. I think losing McDaniel's is almost a blessing in disguise. Nothing against McDaniel's. I'm just saying that. Look, no one really like when everyone saw Frank Wright. It was one of those moves where you go like, huh, or what? He made them a playoff team. Like they got like obviously they got killed against Kansas City, but they went into Houston and just took care of business. Um, They've got the receivers like Paris Campbell. Like looked like has really impressed me last year. Uh, T. Y. Hilton hopefully can stay healthy. They got Doyle at tight end. They they got rid of Eric Ebron, which is a bit of a blessing for them too. Um, Absolutely. I like. Um, I'm trying to think of the running back. Uh, oh, uh, Jonathan Taylor and and Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack, who was thinking about yeah, Taylor too. Like that's another great addition for them. Uh, Darius Leonard leading that defense like. The Colts are a very well-rounded team to where, like, yeah, if they were this, like, it's not okay. Hey, we can go nine and seven, and hey, next year there's next year. Like, sure, they drafted Jacob Eason in the I think fourth or fifth round. Fourth round. But if you want, like, with Rivers, like, they're that team this year that can make some noise. Because I, I, I've said this too that the um, I was just talking about this today that I was mentioning. I was talking to someone about uh, football teams, like, basically where the buys get disrupted. I brought up the Ravens. Another team I brought up was the 06 Chargers team, like which I still think was Rivers' best chance to win when you had him, yeah. Antonio Gates, Vincent Jackson in his prime, LT in his prime, but then they lost to the Pats. This, I think, is Philip. It's not his best chance to win. This is his now or never chance to win. It's his last chance to win, Yeah, I think. 
I mean, and I mean, his contract says that too. I mean, look, maybe maybe he plays really well and they run it back, but like that's no guarantee. Like yeah. not at his, and not not when you look at Eli Manning in this exact same draft class, who's now out of the league. So yeah, you, you never know when this can be his last bet. And again, he's another one where it's just like it's just really hard to make a run. You know, like they the Pats like. Just credit to them. They they played well that game, like in 06. I remember that game really well because I was rooting hard for the Chargers that year because I was a big LT fan. And I believe that was the year LT won the MVP. Yeah, I think that and, was the year where he ran for like 2,000 yards or something like that. Yeah, so he's he's running out of time. And I know he threw a lot of interceptions last year, but I mean, really, if you but if you really look down at it, a lot of those interceptions came late in the fourth quarter. Like, if you remember when he played the Raiders on Thursday Night Football, he threw four picks in that game. He threw two under two minutes to go in the game, which is pretty incredible. Like, that's really hard to do, <laughs> like, to get two two-minute drives and throw a pick on both of them. And, uh, yeah, so I think – I don't think he's as good as he once was, but I just think with a run-heavy offense, with a great offensive line, and I think Frank Reich's play, play calling is part of this. I think he's really good at scheming guys open. I think we're now realizing that even though he didn't call plays, Frank Reich maybe deserved a little more credit for how Nick Foles re- played in that Super Bowl where he was the OC, but Doug Peterson was the play caller, so we didn't really give him any credit. But his scheme seems to scheme guys open really quickly, as you saw for the Eagles in that game, and as you saw for the Colts, where the first read is kind of open a lot. And so you can have that scheme that's very quarterback-friendly, the O-line that's quarterback-friendly, the running game that's quarterback-friendly. Even if Rivers isn't who he was, I just think he just needs to be solid, you know, to to give them a real chance to, to compete. Um, I'm going to go back to the Pats for a, just for a second, just sure. for a second, where I told this to Phil one time that, or he said this to me, look, Jared Stidham plays average, That's it's the same thing. They're a 9-7 and seven football team, in my opinion. Like, the same thing with Rivers. Rivers doesn't have to go out there and be MVP caliber quarterback. He goes out there and plays like the Rivers, hell, like the Rivers of 2018, where he made the playoffs with the Chargers. There's no reason the Colts like, like that's a division winning team with the Colts right there. If the Colts can, I think ten and six would win them the division in the uh, in, a, in the AFC South just because I think that is one of the weaker divisions in football. Just because obviously we think Jacksonville is going to be bad. Uh, the Houston Texans no one really has faith in unless Deshaun Watson has an MVP caliber season and they stay healthy. Adding Brandon Cooks doesn't really do many many favors when you're trying to stay healthy because nothing against him. It's just he has this bad history of concussions. Um, that's is where I think the look. This is the Colts' best chance to win a Super Bowl in almost ten years. When Man- Manning's last healthy season with them was in, I'm trying to remember no, the 2010 season he played, but I don't remember the record no, that. No. Was. 2010 was his last year in Indianapolis. 2010 was his last year because 2011 he was out. That 2009 yeah. season where they went undefeated and then sailed to the Super Bowl, then lost to the Saints that year. Um, so if I'm a Colts fan, I'm genuinely excited going into this year because look. We know, like, Brissett was okay, but then look, like, how last year, too, they fell off the wagons. I think they were 5-2 and two or 6-2 and two at one point, or 6-3. and three. Five, I think they were 5-2. Five 5-2. and, two. Five yeah. and two. The, A lot of those games that they lose down the stretch, they end up winning, and look, instead of being a 7-9 and nine football team, you're easily 10-6. and six. You're easily 11-5 and five with a guy like Phillip Rivers under center. Oh, I, f- I fully agree. And, uh, and by the way, like, I'm always down to talk uh i still haven't given my thoughts on the patriots yet so i'm totally cool going back to them oh Um, go ahead you do you yeah but i just wanted to say on the colts uh i definitely i agree this is their best chance and i think we know this too from experience in the nfl far too often we view like the real deep playoff contenders as people that 
made a deep playoff run just last year. And, like, you see that, like, most people conceive of the true contenders as, like, the Ravens, the Chiefs, the Titans, like, the the Texans, uh, the 49ers. But we know that's not how it's going to be. We know that there's going to be severe disruptions. And we're not even getting that ballsy, but, like, like we're not saying something crazy like a three-win team making a deep run. But this is the oftentimes when a team you don't see coming, like, makes it. It's a team that's kind of like the Colts, that's well-coached, that has a good infrastructure, that, like, isn't relying on a rookie quarterback. Like, those are kind of where the surprises come from. And all they need to do is win that division. And to your point, I, I think, I mean, most years, 10, 10, 9 wins is all it takes. Because the Texans, I'll just give my thoughts on the Texans very quickly. I think they're, they have a, they're just so predictable. Like, Deshaun Watson, I think, is too good for them to ever win only two games. Like, I think he would have to get hurt because he just is too good. Despite the flaws in their management, we agree on all of that. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. No. They're, they're a team they're a team that's going to win, like, between seven and ten games. No more, no less. And even if they make the playoffs, no one's going to take them seriously. Because in the history of Bill O'Brien in the playoffs... They usually get their asses kicked on the way out. It was true last year against the Chiefs. Despite being spotted a 24-point lead, they still ended the game getting their asses kicked. And then they got destroyed by the Colts the year before in Houston. They got destroyed by the Chiefs back in 2015. You know, they just, they don't they don't usually end very pretty. Like, sure, they can beat Connor Cook and they can beat Josh Allen in the playoffs. But, like, whenever they face a competent team, they just, they just kind of get destroyed. So it's just... Like, I'm not saying they can't make the playoffs. It's just even if they do, it's like, does it really matter? Like, getting in as the seventh seed, getting your ass kicked, and then going home. It's just like, that's all they'll be. They don't have a ceiling beyond that. Yes. They're like the Notre Dame almost of the NFL where, look, they're good all throughout the regular season, but when it comes time to face someone good, like in 2018 in the Cotton Bowl, they get their asses kicked by Clemson. Yeah, it's just, they, they will, they will fold. Like, I've, that's why it's just hard to like it's just hard to give take them too seriously. Even when they beat the they beat your Patriots on Sunday Night Football, and the next week they played the Broncos with Drew Locke making his second ever start, and they like, got destroyed. Yeah. They got destroyed. And even that Patriots game, that Sunday Night Football game, I remember that because they were playing very well against Sean Watts who was running down the field, but then they let their guard down, and New England came this close to winning that game. It was. They, if they had converted the onside kick, there's a very good chance because I will take Brady any day of the week, obviously, in the fourth quarter to lead a game-winning situation. But also with the Texans, too. Like I, There's one memory that also sparks me. I remember 2012. Like This is still in the Matt Schaub era. Yeah, there was a Monday night game. football game when they were so confident. They came in wearing those ugly, stupid varsity jackets. Yeah. What happened? They came into doing the Monday night football, got their asses kicked. There's been years, too, where they'd come into Foxborough gotten their asses kicked i think there's only two times in the last 10 years that they've beaten the patriots and yeah, both of those were in houston I, i'm sorry i was getting text but i know the houston texans have never won a game in um they've never won a game in foxborough yeah and they I, I believe last year was the first time they ever won under bill o'brien and that includes a lot of games that occurred in houston and they still couldn't they still couldn't win yeah so yeah, they're hard to take seriously for that reason. Like, Watson's good, but it's just, they just got a lot going against them. It wouldn't shock me if after this year they kind of, like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with Watson. It's like, if he doesn't get signed, like, I'm pretty sure they're going to pick up his fifth-year option. But if a trade comes, Colin, where it's like, look, we can develop towards the future and do stuff, like, 
more bad for him. I feel bad for Watt, just because Watt's a guy I love to watch play. You know he loves the game. Part of what I think is one of the best draft classes in NFL history in that 2011 class. Yeah, um, but he, he just he keeps getting hurt and everything. And, like, he's one of those guys that you know you want to see win. Yeah, I, he, he's a good representative for the league, and people have kind of forgotten about it. But at one point, like, we were viewing him as one of the best defensive players ever, as maybe, like, could rise up there to that Lawrence Taylor, Ray Lewis level. Like, he was, he was dominant, like, in the early 2010s especially. And he gets hurt a lot now, and, you know, that, that the playoff game against the Bills, like, he was beat up. Like, he was supposed to be out for the year. And he came back, he toughed through it, he played in that game, and he was like a, I remember they had a, they had a third down sack when the Bills were in the red zone. That, were, that was actually like a pretty important play. It was actually like a, it was, it, it was 13-0 at the time, I think. And his sack, like, made it just 16-0 instead of potentially 20-0. And they, they, they were able to build a comeback from there. So I root for the guy a lot. It's just, again, I think Bill O'Brien is like, he's like, he, obviously he's a terrible GM. And as a coach, he makes a lot of dumb decisions. But it's like, he's com- he's like hard to fire almost because he's competent enough to like get them to eight wins, right? And so they're in this weird spot where it's like, how do you fire him? We just made the playoffs last year. It's almost better for the Texans if they like, win closer to six or seven games, um, and then maybe they can justify making a change, you know? Like, that's how, that's what I would think if I was a Texans fan. Um, another factor with the whole Bill O'Brien situation kind of reminds me of the Broncos, just because um, if a lot of people don't know, the owner of the Texans died a year and a half ago, Rob Bob McNair. Like, the Texans yeah. had the same thing, the Broncos, excuse me, the same thing too, where a lot of people were going like, okay, is Elway going to get fired? What's going on? But then Pat Bolin died, I believe, in 2018, and there was just a long trust of which one of his kids was going to take over ownership. So it was kind of like a free pass. So I know that McNair's wife took over, but then to, like they had the situation with Rick Smith, who um, had his wife got breast cancer, so he left to tend to her. Um, so it's just one of those tough situations where it's like you want to get rid of someone, but then there's just so much off-the-field stuff going on that's more than football that it kind of gets left behind. But once eventually he catches up to it, um, I do think also on the LA front that this draft can potentially save his job. But at the same time, too, like LA is one of those guys where it's like Denver's favorite son won, I think, two or three Super Bowls with the Broncos. And then yeah, three because Manning won the fourth. Um, where it's just so hard to get rid of. Meanwhile, with Bill O'Brien, it's the same thing, too, where it's like, look, if there's a little bit of success, there's reason to keep him. Like, look, we made the playoffs. Now it's, look, you trade away one of the best players in the league. If. You go out there, you get fought. If you go out there, you win six, seven games. Yeah, it's justified getting fired. Yeah, and I, I think I think Elway won two, but Manning won the third. Is what I think is I think what happened. I'll look that um, up quickly. You just you talk about the situation. Yeah, uh, agree on the Broncos. Um, agree the draft class could help, and I just think yeah, for the Texans, it's just it makes it hard. Like the, that vacuum of leadership. Like that's how Bob can justify. You know. That's how you can justify taking over the GM job. And that's how you can justify making all these trades. And you just see, they just always make like these like emotional decisions. Like I, for, I forget who it was. There was someone week one last year. I'm trying to remember who it was. Might've been, might've been Colvin. Um, there was someone they signed on defense. Uh, the Texans did. And then week one last year, he like made a bad play. He made a bad play in the Saints game where he, like, gave up, like, the field position that was necessary for the Saints 
to be able to get into field goal range to win the game. Yeah, it was. It was Aaron Colvin. And um, he got cut right after the game. And it's like, that's something that wouldn't happen on teams where the coach doesn't have GM power. Like, he made a play that cost him the game, the coach got pissed, and he got cut. It's like, you, you just you don't see that on other teams because they have those balance of powers to kind of like, like even if the coach is pissed at someone, you have a GM who's thinking big picture, who's thinking long term, and can kind of balance it out and make those decisions. So that's part of the issue. Um, the Broncos are tough to predict. I, I like them, but... I just don't know how good Drew Locke is. He played well in limited starts last year. We just don't really know what that means because we see this all the time. Jason Campbell from the Redskins comes to mind. Geno Smith with the Jets a little bit too. Like sometimes when a guy goes on like a nice December run, that doesn't always translate into great 16 games the next year, you know? Yeah. So it's we'll see with Locke. It's yeah. up in the air. Yeah, the, Bron- the, the Broncos are a very interesting team. Um. Before we get into your Patriots line, wrap things up. Uh, one sure. question I wanted to ask you about, because I know you love your you. Could you see Absolutely. Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon to coach Miami? Uh, he was, from what I've heard, he was considering doing so in 2018, but his buyout was incredibly expensive. And the uh, UM Board of Trustees weren't, like, they had Manny Diaz who they could hire, who had familiarity with the team, and getting him away from Temple was so much cheaper than it was getting Cristobal, so they just decided to do that. If Manny Diaz were to get fired, and I think, I mean, I hate Manny Diaz, firstly, so I'm okay <laughs> with that, then I could see one day, one day could I see Cristobal taking a job there? Absolutely. He's not just an alumni. He's not, like, he played here for championship teams. He also was hired as part of the coaching staff for a while he even came back to their coaching staff in 2012 but he left because Alabama offered him the offensive line job and, and you know if you're going to be the tight ends coach of Miami or the offensive line coach at Alabama you should probably pick Alabama like I'd be the first to say that but yeah he knows the area very well he coached FIU for a while Florida International University which for people who don't know is located right in the heart of Miami it's it's like 10-15 minutes away from UM like most people who go to FIU knows everybody who went to UM so Crystal ball, I think one day you could see him there. But the the parts would have to line up. Like everything would have to line up budget wise, salary wise. But I think you could for sure. All the sto- all the stars would have to form. Um, another quick question I wanted to ask. Then I didn't realize FIU was in like in the heart of Miami. Then FAU yeah. isn't that just north? Yeah, at Florida, no, Florida Atlantic University is further up. Okay, like that's up the state. Yeah, like that. That's like a four hour drive away. Oh. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's like nearer, it's like closer to the, like the Boca Raton, Tampa area, like up, up, higher up in Florida. Boca Raton, um, that's where it is, okay. Uh, well, like, I like Boca Raton and Tampa, like before someone corrects me, like I, they're not like right next door to each other, like though they're still like an hour apart, Boca Raton and Tampa, but like in that region is what I just mean, like I, I'm from Miami, it's the very south of Florida, they're more northern Florida. Got it, got it, no problem, I just, that was just something that like just itched my curiosity for a quick second, like me not yeah. realizing that. Until I was in Orlando a while ago, that I learned that Jacksonville's only like two hours north of Orlando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, but but it's like but it's like five hours from Miami, but okay. it's two hours from Orlando. Yeah. Okay. And uh, AFC East, uh, yeah. So Patriots and Jets. Uh, well, the Jets, the Jets thing, I want to say super quickly because this is easy. Um, yeah, like I'm a Dolphins fan. I know Adam Gase very well, and yes, like I understand you shouldn't like trust like Gase necessarily I guess here's what I would say about Adam Gase I think Adam Gase is a quintessential very similar to Bill O'Brien it's a he's a six to ten win coach so like he's good at taking really bad teams and getting them to overachieve 
because he did that in Miami at first. Like when the Dolphins made the playoffs his first year, when the Dolphins went ten and six, there were not a lot of expectations for that team. I remember a lot of people thought that team would go four and twelve, especially here locally in Miami. Like, oh shit, my bad. Sorry, I, I was trying to click something else. I accidentally clicked my Siri button on my Mac. Uh, hello, sorry, your sound cut out for me. Are you? Can you hear me? Yeah, you're muted on my thing. I don't know why. Okay, let me fix my mic for a second. Okay, can you hear me now? Still nothing. Okay, uh, just keep going. Okay. Hello. Okay, I can he I can hear you. You can hear me. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what happened here on my end. Uh, but all right, I'll just I'll just roll with the punches here. All right, so so yeah, I I think that uh, with the with the Jets and with Gase, he's a six to ten win coach. He's unlikely, you know, to do anything like super impressive. Like no one's no one's really gonna think that like they're gonna like make a deep playoff run or anything like that. I just think that it didn't surprise me last year to see them finish seven and nine. Like it didn't surprise me at all because I just know how the, I know how Gase is. Like, he's either going to win games close or he's going to get blown out. And you saw that last year. They would either win, like, a really tight game or they would just totally get the doors closed or they would just totally get the doors blown off of them. And so I, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to really, like, it's hard to think that a team like that can make a deep run, obviously. But um, they're also not really good. I don't think they're going to go, like, 2-14. And I, people said that last year when they started one and seven, and I was like, "Just do you watch? Like when they play some of these shitty teams, like he'll find a way because that's just kind of what he does." So, I think they're they're gonna win between six and ten games because that's what that's Gase's box. Like that's where he lives in that six to ten box. It's not impossible to see an Adam Gase team go ten and six. We saw it in Miami, so like we can't say it's impossible when we saw it in Miami. Now it's most likely that they're gonna go seven and nine. Six and ten, eight and eight. Those are the more likely options. I don't deny that, but I think people need to. I just think second year of Sam Darnold in that scheme, the offensive line got better. I think they can be a better team than last year. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win a whole lot more games, but I think they can either repeat seven and nine or go eight and eight again. So that, that's what I would think about the Jets and the Patriots. Uh, the Patriots, very simply, I think. Wide range of outcomes, but I think the Belichick effect matters. Obviously, I'm sure I'm sure you must be exhausted by how many people bring up the 2008 Patriots and Matt Castle. I'm sure I'm sure it comes up all the time as like <laughs> different examples. And uh, I I I think that Belichick has done really well when Brady hasn't been in the lineup the last two decades. Sure, people can bring up the records with Cleveland, but. In New England, in New England, he's fourteen and six in games without Brady. Uh, like, because not just, obviously eleven wins from the Matt Castle year, and then in twenty sixteen he got two wins with Jimmy G, and then a win with Jacoby Brissett against the Texans on Thursday Night Football. And so he's done. He's done well. And look, I'm not saying that to say that Brady doesn't matter or anything like that. I just think that at its core, with the Patriots. Um, Brian Flores said this a lot. Brian Flores truly believes, another Belichickism, that games are more often lost than they are won. Like, this goes to something that the Patriots believe in, that Flores also believes in, that a lot of times winning the games in the NFL is just upon, like, not doing anything stupid and just, like, capitalizing on the mistakes of the other team. And so 
that's where good coaching comes in with Belichick, where if you could just get your players, even if there's like talent questions, if you could just get them to not do anything stupid and just take advantage when the other quarterback throws a stupid interception or the receiver fumbles the ball, you know, just take advantage of those plays. You can win a lot of games that way. When I watched the Patriots-Dolphins Week 17 game that we started the video talking about, one thing that really occurred to me was the Dolphins, they just played a great game. Like, it wasn't really that fancy, but if you, like, watch the game, like, no one – Fitz didn't throw a pick. The receivers didn't drop anything. No one – there was no stupid fumble. There was no bad penalty. They didn't really do anything extravagant. They just they just didn't really make a mistake. No drops, no picks, no fumbles, no bad penalties. Meanwhile, Brady throws a pick six to Eric Rowe. And it's like this unique irony where it's like the Dolphins didn't do anything spectacular. Sure, the, the last drive was impressive, I guess. But, like, I watched that game, and it's like it's dump-offs to, like, Isaiah Ford and Albert Wilson, like, simple stuff. And they won a game on the road against a great team doing that. So I think that's kind of like a Patriots model based on the stuff we saw from Castle and Brissett and Jimmy G. Just no one do anything stupid. No one make a bad penalty. Just no one do anything stupid. Let's just do our job. Quote unquote, the ultimate cliche. But I think if you do stuff like that, I just I just trust them to win a lot of games. Now, maybe if they have a terrible quarterback play instead of average, because we've talked about average can get you 9-7. If it's terrible, maybe that would hurt you. Um, but I just think that I just think that their floor is a little higher than people give them credit for. I've heard some people say that maybe they're trying to tank to get Trevor Lawrence. I don't buy that at all. Like I just I I don't know. I I, I don't foresee Belichick having having the pride to to do something like that, uh, whether it's the right thing to do or not. And again, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but. I just I can't imagine Belichick, who's trying to catch Don Shula in wins and is like 43 games behind, and he's the second oldest coach in the NFL. Like, is he really just going to throw a season away? Like, I, that just doesn't seem like him. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I think at worst, at absolute worst, they'll go like seven and nine. Like, I just think I think they'll just be less stupid than the other side often enough to at least win seven games. Um, I totally agree with you on that front where it's like the, it would just immorally, mentally kill Belichick on the outside. You'd be like, oh, yeah, we're fine. We're just doing whatever. But if they go and tank, which is another option, I, I, I go and I say, oh, we're going to get Trevor Lawrence as a joke just to rattle people. Do I believe it? No, because I still think there are worse teams in the uh, – I'm just trying to figure out my audio situation here. Final score. Um, that there's just – like, Belichick is just one of those guys where it's like, look, like you said, he's trying to catch Don Shula and wins. Uh, we're just having a bit of technical difficulty steering each other over Skype, so I'm just going to keep talking. Um, but, yeah, with Don, like with Belichick, he's trying to catch Shula and wins. He still has the team. He still has his legacy on the line because if it's, look, the first year without Brady, new uniforms, all that stuff. Um, I, I just say new uniforms because I personally, I really like them. I, they're one of my favorites in the NFL, with my favorite being the Chargers. Um, but with the Patriots, like that's why I just keep saying, look, if Jared Sinem can play average, and also, too, like he said with 2016, um, there was the, the only game they lost was because Brissett played with a broken hand. 16 nothing loss to the Bills. And everyone was like, oh, you lost to Buffalo. Buffalo came in and kicked your ass in New England. I bring up the fact that Brissett was hurt in that game. Next game out, Brady comes back, and the rest is history. They win the Super Bowl 28-3, yada, yada, yada. 
but um, as you hear typing in the background, um, oh, I'm just trying to catch my thoughts here. But yeah, that's I personally think that look, the sky's the limit for the Patriots. And um, uh, what's a, what's the other thing I was gonna say quickly? Um, but yeah, like it, it's like this quote Kevin Garnett: "Anything is possible with this season with the Patriots." Um, I'm just gonna message Big, uh, Big Rat quickly just so we can wrap things up here. Uh, um, I'm gonna turn the floor over to him now. Uh, yeah. Uh, if anyone wants to follow me, you can follow me at Big Rat three ten B I G R A T three one zero. I talk a lot about wrestling mainly, but I do um, infuse my football takes completely unwarranted and not asked for but in summation i i am i am excited for the season and i'm, I'm excited you know, i'm a big football fan um my, my my miami hurricanes are horrible so i just kind of tend to ignore them a little bit uh, but i'm excited for the season i think there's a lot of really interesting stories um i'm not sure like you know how i foresee a lot of the divisions going this year which i think is different from most years uh so I, i'm like you know not I'm really looking forward to that. And like we started, like the central theme of what we were saying, like I'm really curious to see how the AFC East goes more than anything because all those teams just have a lot of volatility. Like the Dolphins have a lot of volatility. The Patriots have a lot of volatility. Any team that has Josh Allen has a lot of volatility. Like it's just, there's a lot of uncertainty. And that's that's what makes sports fun. That's what makes the NFL fun. And I'm very, very excited for that. And I just also want to say before I head out, Tua Tagovailoa is a stud. Love the guy. But... We don't know if he's going to be healthy. And if he is healthy and plays well, then I might revise a lot of the stuff I said about the Finns at the start of the episode. But I, one, don't expect him to play, at least certainly maybe not until, like, December. And two, um, I just think that right now Josh Rosen is still on the roster. And I know it's kind of weird because no one's expecting him to play, but he's still on the roster. And I know no one expects much of him, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. If he's traded or cut, disregard everything I say. But if he is not traded or not cut, I want to get this on the record right now, I would not be surprised if he's starting games for the Dolphins by midseason. Because I do think, because of Tua's health injuries, they can easily justify if they want to bench Vince Magic. You know, we don't want to play Tua right away. Like, he's not healthy. The O-line is still not right. So let's go put Rosen in there. And I think a lot of people wouldn't... That would be a complete surprise to a lot of people. But unless he's traded, I think that's very, very possible. Because they're, he wouldn't be on this team if he didn't need to be. Like, they could just cut him right now if they really didn't want to play him. But... So there, there's something, something there, something that's juicy. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the season. Uh, I guess if I had to give a hot take on the way out, I'll just say one: I think the Cowboys can win ten games. I guess that's a hot take. It doesn't seem that big, but and the other one is that here. I'll, I'll just go. I'll just. Affir- I know this can go either way, but I'll just affirmatively say it. I think the Jets win more games than the Bills. And I would not be surprised at all if that's not the case. And that's not really a pro-Jets commentary. That's like me saying 8-8 eight and eight is better than 6-10. and 10. That is entirely a me fading Josh Allen commentary, and that's all. Like, and I could be wrong. We'll see. But that is me predicting him to implode and for the Bills to not be as good as people think, even though I recognize they could be really good, as we've talked about. So those are the big two. And yeah, man, thank you, thank you for having me on, man. I'm, I'm seriously really happy. It was so much fun. It was really nice to do. Oh, no problem. I very thank you once again for Big Rat Three Ten coming on again. Follow him on Twitter at Big Rat Three Ten. I'm gonna have him back on for sure, for sure in the near future. 
But anyway, guys, like I keep saying, stay stay healthy, stay safe during this pandemic. We're going to get through this together. And football season is going to be here faster than you know it. So for now, guys, thank you and have a good night and uh, stay safe as always. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.